wonder if you could stand with me and let's go to the word of the Lord. Y'all are the standingest bunch in the world. You stand all the way through worship service. Now you stand to read the Bible. I just feel like it's good to stand for the Lord. All right. We're starting with the puns. Amen. I'm thankful for um, what God is doing in my life. I can tell you that every time that I've been in a place of desperation, the Lord has heard my prayers. Amen. And he's my help in time of trouble. And I just want to speak to you for a little while today about divine desperation. Um, and you may not be real familiar with the word desperation if you've had a very strong life. You've had a lot of blessings in your life. You may have never really run into a desperate situation where you didn't have any money in the bank account or you didn't have any help from a family member. But there is a lot of people in our world right now that are desperate for God. They're desperate for something. They don't maybe even know it's God, but they're desperate. And God is the only true answer. Amen. The devil is a liar. He won't give you what you desire. And his pants are on fire. Holy Ghost, come back. Let's get to the word of the Lord before I get in trouble. Isaiah. We're going to go there. Isaiah chapter 45. Let the minister get there. Got so many post-it notes. Isaiah chapter number 45. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed. Are you there? Say amen if you're there. Say wait on me if you're not. All right. If you're in Philippians, you might as well just come to the altar now. <laughs> or look at the screen. You're not going to find it. We're all the way in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden. Isaiah mentioned Cyrus 175 years before he ever comes into power. That's the power of the word of God. Amen. Because it's God breathed. God can do stuff like that in his, in his word to subdue nations before him and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him and the two levied gates and the gates shall not be shut and I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight this is a prophecy amen this is a this is a divine word for Israel I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. How many would like for God to apply this prophecy to your life? Make the difficult places straight. And I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I am the Lord which call thee by thy name. Amen. The enemy calls you by your past, but the Lord calls you by your name. I'm so grateful, and he says, I call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, or I wrapped my arms around thee. I wrapped thee up. Though thou hast not known me, even when you didn't know me, he had his arms around you. Amen. Oh, what a good word. Anybody want to celebrate the word of God with me? They that, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west 
that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There's nobody like our God, amen? So one translation says, I want to preach about divine desperation. And I'm just asking the Lord to help us. Would you bow your heads, Jesus? Would you anoint your word? I'm just a vessel of clay. Help me to get out of the way and use this to encourage your church. The visitors that are here, let them feel the common grace of God come from the word of God and instruct their lives and help them. And let them feel your hope in this house, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. It's a non-starter, the word desperation. Nobody wants to talk about desperation. Everybody would just want us to skip to the part where there's no one like our God. And shoot, you know, shoot out of the pews and dance and shout and bite the ceiling and climb the chandeliers. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That was 1980s Pentecostal. Huh? We're in 2020. 2021, no, 2022. Thank you very much. Desperation is a state, it's a noun, it's a state of despair, typically one in which results in a rash or extreme behavior. And the synonyms for desperation are not very pretty. Hopelessness, despair, distress, anguish, pain, agony, torment, torture, misery. Um, before I go any further in the sermon, we'll have the ushers lock the back doors or people are going to leave. <laughs> Wretchedness, disheartenedness, discouragement, res uh, I can't even say them because I don't want to say them. Audacity, wildness, imprudence. This, all these words are synonyms for desperation. But have you ever been in a desperate situation and you just felt like you needed to do something? You didn't know what you needed to do. You didn't know if it was even the right decision. But you were in such desperation, you feel, felt like you needed to act and do something. Anybody ever been there? I just want to introduce you to the fact that there is a God who knows how to create desperation in our lives in order to turn our hearts to him. In other words, he's a God that uses circumstances and trials and tests to lean us into our faith, and that way we can learn how to trust him through even greater tests and trials that may come our way. And as far as an introduction, I would say that is, it is very few people who choose desperation uh, intentionally. In our, in our proud and, and self-sufficient society, very few people seek God on their own. They need some sort of trigger to turn them toward God. Unfortunately, some do, but some most do not. According to Scripture, it has always been like that. Did you know that? Moses had his own plans, but God changed that. Jonah had his own desires, but God changed that. Amen. Paul had his own goals in life, but God created desperation in their lives in order to turn them to God's perfect will for their life. And I want you to know that God still uses desperation to turn us to his perfect will. So we know that if God uses desperation, can I just pause and tell you that this God not only uses it for his glory, but he uses it to instruct us and build us in our faith. And can I also tell you, you can trust in what he puts you into. Amen? 
If he puts you into it, he's going to bring you out of it. And I trust him because he's a God who is all-powerful and has all authority and is able to keep me even in difficult times. And when I am most desperate, the action that needs to produce in my life is prayer and fasting. The thing I need to do is not make rash decisions and, and lash out at family or get bitter and upset, but I need to go into a prayer closet and I need to seek God with everything that's in my heart and I need to lean in through the, t- the trouble and the trial and say, God's going to get me through this. I don't need a good psychology book. I don't need a good self-help motivational speech. What I need is Jesus in my life because he is the God of all glory. He can take care of it. If you're looking for help here today, there is no better help than the Lord. Amen. If you are in desperation today, look to the Lord and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his beautiful face. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. You don't need to go get yourself dirty when you're going through disparate times. You need to turn your eyes to Jesus and run, turn your desperation over to God and say, this just might be my destiny working out in me. This might be the will of God coming to my life and I'm going to take my desperation and I'm going to make it a holy desperation. I'm going to fast through this. I'm going to pray through this. I'm going to seek God through this. And when I come out the other side, I'm going to point back and said it was divine desperation that got me to the miracle power of God. It is the need in our hearts to not turn away from him and be anger and bitter about the difficulties and struggles of life, but it is our need spiritually to turn toward him in those moments. Isaiah said it like this in our text in verse 5. He said, I am the Lord and there is none like me. Who can you go to that can help you any better than our God? Who can you run to that can hold you any better than the God who girds you up and keeps you? Who can you run to that is like our God who underneath is the everlasting arms that when you fall, you can't fall through because he'll never let you fall through? Who can you run to who is like our God? It begins in Exodus 10 where it sets up who God is and how powerful he is. And it sends, it's sending away of the frogs in Exodus from when Moses goes in and he first starts at a burning bush that can't be burned and then he starts roasting marshmallows so that he knows how to keep the Israelites happy campers. Anybody listening? (laughs) Just want to make sure you're listening. He doesn't worry about them being happy campers, but he goes in to speak to Pharaoh, and he stutters his way through a burning bush experience, and then finally says, I need help speaking because I've lost my ability to speak fluently, and he says, take Aaron with you, and they go, and they speak to the Pharaoh, and these plagues are falling on Egypt in order to let the people go. That's all they needed to do was let the people go and let them go to worship God, and when you come against God, Pharaoh, you have come against the one who matches and beats everything you have to offer offer. Every time he turned his head and stiffened his neck, God came with another plague. God came with something stronger. This God has all power, amen? And he can turn kings and rulers around and make them decide to let his people go. And that's what was happening in 
Exodus 8 and 10, the first time we see the Scripture tell us that he's ta- Moses is talking to Pharaoh, and he says, please send the frogs back to the water. We've got frogs in our casserole. We've got frogs in our microwaves. We got frogs in the car. We got frogs in the carburetor. We got frogs in the fuel, and we got frogs in the boat. We got frogs in the lobster trap. Sorry, bro. Just had to throw that out there. We've got a lobster fisherman on the back row today. That thou mayest know that there is none. He says, he says, please, just Moses, pray them away. And he says, when do you want me to do this? He said, tomorrow. He said, I'll do this. That, that thou mayest know, the scripture says. That there is none like unto the Lord God. The whole time that they're trying to be released from 400 plus years of bondage, God is trying to tell Pharaoh there's no one like the God that's going to release these people. And there's no one like the God that can release you in your situation. Hello, somebody. There's no one like our God. 15 and 3, they, they start pursuing their workforce because they realize that God has taken the people out of Egypt with a high hand, the scripture says. They've gone out of Egypt with, and they've spoiled Egypt. They've taken their valuables. They've taken stuff with them. They borrowed and went out and took it with them. And God has blessed the people and they're on their way out. And Pharaoh goes, we've lost our workforce. Let's go get them. And they jump in their best chariots and they head toward the sea. And the, and the Bible says in verse 15 and 3, that the Lord who is militant makes war out on our enemies. And then verse 15, or chapter 15 and verse 6, it says, The right hand, thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Pharaoh followed Moses into the Red Sea, and we know what happened. The waters closed over him, and there was never an enemy to be seen after that. And they're dancing on the riverbanks, and someone got out the tambourine, and the music director quickly took it away, said, can't play tambourine offbeat. No, they let them dance, and they let them shout, and they let them worship the Lord, and they let them say the horse and the rider has he thrown into the sea, amen? God is able to do what we cannot do, even when we don't have armies to fight the enemy. God has a power like nothing else. Brothers and sisters, we are leaning in to spiritual warfare and prayer and fasting, and we need to understand as we go into this fasting and this time of prayer that there is no one like our God, that even in moments of desperation, we have to lean in because those desperation moments change us for the good. Amen. I don't know what you might be fighting today, but I can tell you God can handle it. I, I, I have so many stories that I could apply here. They're mostly p- personal stories because hey, I live my life, you live yours, and so I know my personal stories. But I remember when we were setting up and tearing down, we're taking all this equipment in and out of a trailer, trying to start a church. We were at the Oconomowoc Church. I had this corner office. It was a nice, comfortable life, Brother Mike. I could have just been a good Christian. But no, God had me desperate. I started looking over my shoulder, and I couldn't sleep at night, Sister Carla. I couldn't. Literally, I was losing sleep because I had a burden for the city of Brookfield. And there wasn't a church in Brookfield, and we started praying. And one of our groups, uh, one of the young couples that was going to go with us at the time, they started praying, and the Lord gave a tongue and interpretation. And I was so thankful, and he said, I sent angels before you, and now I'm coming behind you with angels to push you into the city. And we were so thankful. And I remember 
understanding that Jason Sisko's dad had taught Bible studies in this city and cracked open this city in the name of Jesus before we even knew that he did. We got here and we were almost a year into the work, but the Lord's words were true. There was divine desperation in our hearts for a move of God. And we were setting up and tearing down and we were getting weary. How many know that the Lord can do a great work but is weary on the people? Amen. It is a good work and we were doing a good work, but we were getting weary. I I started praying in January and I got up and doing one of these messages and I think I was giving it one of these numbers right here and I was preaching away and I started saying stuff that wasn't in my notes. You know, you can get in trouble like that. But I felt anointed. I had tingling from the top of my hair follicles to the bottom of my feet. And I started saying, the Lord is going to give us a space where we don't have to set up and tear down like this anymore. And it was January 1, and I was believing God for new things, and I had got divinely desperate. I was after God for it. And I started praying, and I got up there, and I'm preaching away, and I tell the church, God has got a place for us. It's already set up. I don't know where it's at, but God has already got a place in this city. And that was on January 1. We went eight months. We went eight months, and so I got out of the pulpit, and I'm like, what did I do? What, what did I do? I just told this whole church, there's already a church set up for us somewhere, and I don't even know what I'm doing, Lord. You, you must have anointed me because I I've felt the Holy Ghost. And so I began to scour the city. I started looking for spaces where we could get a place to set up, and we found this building after about eight months, eight months of me going, I don't even know if that was the Lord. <laughs> I felt it so good, but I don't know if that was the Lord, but I was desperate for God to do something. We found this space, and and, uh, just by happenstance, I had a friend who knew a realtor. The realtor calls me back in 30 minutes and says, there's a church that moved out of this space, and it's open, and they might be interested because it's been sitting empty for eight months. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. When did they leave? And she said, they left January 1. This place had been sitting here for eight months and I couldn't find it, but God was waiting for them to get desperate so we could rent the space. God will do anything if you get desperate for him, amen? And so God opened the doors, and, and I, this is in between. I mean, I had already walked into the Marriott because we had a situation going south with one hotel we were having service in, and God told me I was driving home, and God told me, I, I just felt impressed, go to the Marriott. And I'm like, Lord, it's, it's almost 10 o'clock at night. I'm coming home late from work. I'm tired. I don't want to do that. He said, please, go to the Marriott again. And then I'm like just fighting the Lord. You know how you do. You're stubborn. Anybody want to admit you're stubborn? Any stubborn people in the house? All right, the Lord is here. There's an honesty and a humbleness in the house. We might as well just have the altar call now. Um, but I was being stubborn, and on the third time, he usually speaks to me three times, says, you know, puts a thought in my mind three times before I'll listen because I'm pretty stubborn. And then he goes, would you please go to Marriott? And so I didn't turn to go to my house. I drove straight to Marriott, and I walked in, and there's this jolly tall black man standing there and his name is Maurice and he's working behind the counter and he smiles he's like hey how you doing big old huge I mean smile so big and I'm like I'm doing great I'm a pastor do you guys happen to have like a ballroom or anything in here where we can rent we want to have church on Sunday and he goes praise God just like that and I'm like I pick myself up off the floor what is going on 
And he goes, praise God, I've been praying that a church comes in this place and anoints this place with the power of the Holy Ghost, and it lasts all week from the Sunday service. And that is what we came out of, the Marriott. And God found this place for us, and God opened the door. We're walking through this place with my pastor and with our board, and we're, like, we're, we're with the, the, the realtor agent, and she goes, well, it's about $7,800 a month, and there's a $2,000 retainer per month for maintenance. It's going to be about $10,000 a month. And I was like, oh, praise God. Let's all go to lunch. That's not in the budget. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for showing us what we can't have and what we should look forward to. And, and I'm trying to be positive, but I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. We don't have that kind of money. And so then we're leaving here, and my pastor, Pastor Hanthorne, he calls me on the phone, and he says, he says, bro, I don't know what I'm feeling. I said, I'm feeling it too. I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling it too. And he said, why don't you put in a low offer and just see what they'll do. And so I got a contract, and I'm writing the contract going, there's no way. There's absolutely, I mean, my faith is there. I want to believe God for this, but there's no way they're going to accept this. So I write $1,500 a month, month to month, kick us out anytime. <laughs> I, I, I guess my faith was struggling there. I should have said for, th for six years. But I wrote month to month, and I sent it over, and they didn't call me back for a month. I'm like, oh, I just offended them. I just made them so irritated. We went from ten grand a month to I wrote fifteen hundred a month. I'm like, what is going on? So then I finally call, I finally call over, and my faith is being compressed at this moment, and I am in divine desperation. I need God to move. I need God to help us, and I'm praying my way through it. And I call a month later, and I said, um, did we just really make them mad? Or I haven't heard back anything from. You know, my offer to pay the electric and uh, to rent this space for $1,500 a month. And she's like, you know, I didn't hear a thing. It, and the owners are a conglomerate of owners that own these buildings. And um, they've been traveling all summer uh, overseas in Europe and in Italy. I'm like, oh, my must be nice. Pack me in the luggage next time. And I'm like, okay. She said, but you know what? They're all back. And, um, let me give them a call and see if they've looked at your offer. She calls me back in 30 minutes, and she says, can you come pick up the keys on Monday? You can have the space as long as you pay the electric. And we've been in here for almost three years since, paying that same amount, giving money out to missions, sending money everywhere we can send it because we're not paying it here. We're sending it to start another church. We're sending it to help missionaries. That's what desperation will do for you, brothers and sisters. It will change your life. And if you don't have a place of desperation right now in your life, I want to tell you that God is going to to help you to understand that fasting is a way to force desperation into your life. Can I ask you the $60 million question that God sent me to this pulpit to preach today? I wonder, are you creating space in your life for desperation? We drive such nice automobiles. Some of you got into them in warm garages. You didn't even get out in the cold except for to walk into the church. Some of 
of us have wonderful meals. Some of us get to go out and eat all the time. Some of us have fine, fine homes that we live in. Some of us travel on a regular basis, and we don't know what it's like to really be desperate. But brothers and sisters, as we go into this 21 days of fasting, while you may think that only the religious people really fast, I want to give you a little secret that fasting creates forced desperation in your life. Because when you push back the plate, you're pushing back the strongest urge of your human body. That is the desire for food. And when you do that, you create a space of desperation. You say, I'm not going to eat except for this word. I'm not going to do anything except for pray over my lunch hour, pray over my dinner hour. And you create divine desperation in your life. That's why anytime something comes up and you come to the pastor and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this decision. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know where to go with this. What's the first thing your pastor is going to say? Have you prayed and have you fasted about it? Have you created some divine desperation? Are you a person who have made space for angelic movements of God? Have you made space for the God who is almighty to move? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that you can create divine desperation in your life through fasting. He just, he didn't just make the heavens and the earth. He made you and I, and he's powerful. I was loving the psalm. I was going through scripture, and I was looking at different passages of scripture that talked about the Lord. In Psalms 112 and 2, David asked this question. He says, where does my help come from? And then he answered his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord, comma, who made heaven and earth. Do you know there's 16 zones of survival that have to be absolutely perfect for human life to survive on earth? It's not just radiation zones. If you have too little radiation, there's no photosynthesis. If you, don't have, if you have too much radiation, anybody without sunscreen 9000 is going to get a real bad day. There's radiation zones of life. There's water zones. There's, in order for us to be close enough to the sun to where we can have water on the planet but not have it all evaporate, that is another zone of life. There's 16 different zones of life. For the universe to be as expansive as it is, it has to be as big as it is to support one planet with human life on it. And while evolutionists and others say that isn't that grotesque, that he would make such a huge universe just for one planet, there's got to be life out there somewhere. I'm not interested in that argument today. I'm not going to talk to you about lights in the sky and green people. I'm not interested in that argument. But I will tell you this, that God is all-powerful, and when he says, I am your help, he tacked the moment that he is our help onto one place in Scripture. And he says, not only am I your help, but if you want to know how I can help you, just look at the fact that I made heaven and earth. Look at the fact that I spin planets and I spin solar systems. And we're just about to open up a new, a new solar system uh, situation where we can look with a new telescope into the farthest reaches of the universe. And I believe that the gap between Scripture and science is closing, brothers and sisters. If you want to look at naturalistic life and evolutionary life, you go ahead and look at that. But the naturalistic life and gaps that are in their knowledge and gaps in the, in the, in the evolutionary thinking are getting bigger and bigger. But the more 
more we learn, the more we study, the more science works, and the more things we learn about in medical science, it's closing the gap between the Word of God and our knowledge, amen? So if you want to know where the truth is at, it's in this Word of God. If you want to know how powerful God is, He's the maker of heaven and earth, and when you create divine desperation in your life, you're calling on the God who can create things. He doesn't just have to organize things. He doesn't just have to make it better for you. He literally can create a way out for you. He can create a way of escape for you. Do you understand the God who I'm preaching about today, church? There is none like God. Oh, Drew, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 33, 26-27, it says, there is none like God. Oh, Jeshurun, which is a, a symbolic name of Israel, who rides through the sky to help you on the clouds in majesty. He not only made heaven and earth, he rides in the heavens. Amen? Second Samuel 7, 22 says, Therefore, you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you. What we have heard is true. Psalms 89 and 6, I love this passage. For who in the heaven... For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? Whenever you call on the Lord, you call on the help from heaven and earth. Come from the God who created heaven and earth. Isaiah 40 and 18, he picks it up. He says, to whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him to? In other words, there's just no comparison to what God can do for you. When I walk into a, a scared couple's home and I've got my anointing oil and I'm going to do Mark 16, 16, I'm going I'm to anoint with oil, I'm going to do some of that obedience to the scripture and, and I'm just having a normal day like any other human being. Hello, somebody. Pastors are just human. And I'm on my way there and I'm listening to praise and worship music. Anybody like to listen to praise and worship music in the car? How many got their radio on 105.3 or you got something going? I had Colton Dixon rocking out in my car yesterday. Oh, thank you, brother Colton Dixon. I don't know if you guys like him or not, but that's that's my that's my bro right there. He can make it happen. And I had some. Then I had some choir going. Anybody like some choir? Good gospel. I had some of that going. I get to the house. It's early in the morning, and I pray over them. And they have X-rays of cysts in the body. And when they went in to do surgery, all the cysts were gone. I was just having a normal morning, but on my drive there, I created some divine desperation. I knew I could not do this. I don't pray for people and they get healed. It's not, it's not that you just have the gift and it just can happen. If you ever get hung up on your gift of healing or your gift of knowledge, or if you ever get hung up on that, I think the Lord would probably shut that thing down. If it's just my opinion, I don't know that he would uh, do that, but I'm just saying he does give gifts without repentance. But I just feel like if you ever get to the point where you're just stuck on that title and what you can do and not have a desperation for God, I don't even know people that gift those gifts without having a divine desperation. So it seems to me like God hands out things to people who create divine desperation in their life. People that know how to fast and pray and seek God and ask God and know that it's not them. It's not us. It's not the things that we can do. It's not the talents that we have. But it literally is. It's not how good I even preach today. But it's how great our God is. It's how wonderful. Because you will get home. Maybe you'll get tomorrow, the next day, and you'll have a desperate 
situation come up in your life, and the only thing you need to remember is he is my help. He is my God. His name is Jesus. He's the maker of heaven and earth. That's all you need to remember. And when you call on the name of the Lord, something happens, brothers and sisters. We began to pray, and I called on the name of the Lord, and miracles happened. Power gets released. God anoints what is desperate. And you may not have grown up like me in desperate situations. You may not have gone through all the abuses. You may not have had all that. But I was bred in desperation. Amen. Amen, somebody. I was taught desperation. When you don't have food at home, but you go to church anyways. When you don't have groceries, but you put the, the money in the gas tank to get to church. We went to church more than anybody I know. We would sit in the pew and watch the preacher paint the walls. We, would, we were in church more than the church pews. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> went to church Sunday, Sunday night. We went to church for prayer Monday night. We had celebration recovery Tuesday night. You're back at church for midweek service Wednesday night. Sometimes you had something going on Thursday night. And then Friday night, you got to get excited about youth night. Youth night, yes. We've been here all week. In fact, some of us were just given a key. The pastor just said, show up when you want to. <laughs> You're here all the time anyways. How many remember that? But those moments created in us desperation for God. And that's where we learned how to fast and pray. It's not, it's not this, the fast I have chosen, Scripture tells us, Isaiah, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Amen? We're going into this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if you've never had much desperation in your life, I can tell you if you start fasting, you'll find some desperation. You'll find a desire. You'll, you'll, want, to, uh, you'll want to see God in ways that you've never thought you could think and see him. You'll, you'll want to know that God can change things. I, going into Bible college, I did a two-week fast, and it changed my life. It changed my life, and I met my lovely bride there. And all of this happened because I learned how to be desperate for God. We didn't have a choice, brothers and sisters, but now you do. You do have a choice. You can just go about your weeks for the next two weeks, and we can get to you know, January 30th, and you can come to church, and you can experience all of the pouring out and excitement and love of God through all of the spiritual journey that brothers and sisters in this church take and the spiritual warfare that they go through for the next 21 days because we know we are stepping into something. But whenever all of the blessings pour out, you can either come and you can just take it in and leave and never be a participant, or you can create a desperate space in your life and God can change your life forever. He can change your life forever from it. And I hope that you will join us. I petition you, join us in this time of prayer and fasting. In the mornings, if you're not a good morning person, pray at night. Pray yourself to sleep. I don't care how you do it. Pray your children to sleep. Take them and teach them and show them the word of God. Read something to them and then put them to sleep. Make it very practical, as Sarah said. Make it very practical. Would you stand with to me, on your feet with me today? Fasting and prayer makes us desperate for God. Where is your divine desperation? If you bow your head with me, Jesus, 
there are people in this room that have never fasted before. There are uh, fasting champions in this room that I know of that have fasted 30 days and have seen God move in miraculous ways in their families. But there's somebody here today that wants to see you change their life. They want to see things. They're, they're tired of the way it's been. They're tired of the cycle that they're in. They've been doing the same things over and over. Try to get up, fall down. Get up, fall down. You're the God who holds us up. And I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus that if they reach out to you, if they turn to the God who was our help, that you would show up with power and authority and dominion and that you would show up with great strength over their life. If you're watching online, go ahead and pray and ask God to help you create a place of desperation. I know it's somewhat forced, but if we don't do it, God will. If we don't lay into a fast and start praying, God will bring situations in our life that bring us back to Him or cause our hearts to turn away. But we choose. Today, we choose you, Jesus. So would you help us to fast forward our life in you, to use fasting to step into desperate spaces. I know many of us are going to leave here and we're going to go have a nice lunch. Maybe we're going to spend some time with family. But before the day ends today, would you help us to turn our hearts to you as we go into fasting this evening and tomorrow. And let us see you do great and divine things in our created desperation. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you find a place to pray if you want to. If you need to mingle, if you need to go out, would you just, if you're going to talk in, in fellowship, would you take it out to the fellowship hall? There's coffee there for you. But let somebody come and pray and make a desperate space in their life for God. If you have something you're struggling with, come see me. I'll pray with you. I'll join my faith with yours, and we'll pray that God changes that situation. But this altar's open. We don't want to leave church without taking a time of receiving his word. It is spirit, and it is life. This is not just a speech, it's not just a homily, it's just not just a moment in time, but this word, when received, can change your eternity. Take a moment with God in Jesus' name.
every chain, break every chain, break every chain.